0: Hey, folks, it's Luke. Stay where you are, because in the next hour you're going to meet the foremost expert on industrial musicals who brings us lyrics like this one from the 1971 Ortho Pharmaceuticals Show. Though a married female's problems may be myriad, thanks to
1: us, she can usually expect her period.
0: (laughs) This is the show that didn't uh, realize it was going to be a period piece. (laughs) This is... The beautiful alberta rose theater in portland oregon it's live wire with late show writer steve young bitch magazine writer sarah Merck, and music from portugal the man all that plus comedy from our troupe, party in the front poet scott Poole, and more music from our house band led by mr ralph huntley Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Live Wire Radio, recorded, as always, in front of a live crowd at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We have a scintillating show for you this week. The band Portugal the Man stops by to play some music and to talk about growing up in Wasilla, Alaska, where one of the band members had a long-running dispute over a skateboard park, a dispute with the local mayor,
2: a woman named Sarah Palin. Yes, that's Sarah Palin. And so I went to city hall meetings for about three years straight and argued with her a lot about getting a skate park built in my town. She doesn't like me very much, but in the end, we got a beautiful skate park.
0: Late Show with David Letterman writer Steve Young takes us into the fascinating and secret world of industrial musicals, which were these incredibly lavish stage productions that were made by companies in the 50s and 60s, They were made just to get their employees all pumped
1: up. And I've heard composers I've interviewed telling me about seeing hardened middle managers and sales guys in the audience with tears just streaming down their face. One of them was from a guy from Austria who said, this was the most beautiful day of my life.
0: And Bitch Magazine writer Sarah Merck tells us about the time she thought she was going to an actual sex dungeon, only to find out it wasn't as sexy as she was hoping.
3: It's disappointingly not a dungeon. It's more like a sex warehouse. It's actually a non-profit, for Christ's sake.
0: First, though, speaking of dark, damp places... That was a weird transition, wasn't it? Uh, The entire Northwest has turned into a dark, damp place because, of course, Winter is arriving, and I started things off at the Alberta Rose Theater commiserating with the audience about this oncoming season. Take a listen. It is is hard. It is hard out here for a Northwesterner to survive the next uh, few months, and I know that the Northeast and the Midwest, they like to talk about how cold it is in their winters, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but... It's like if the water is still liquid, it is that much more able to go into your sock when you step <laughs> off of the curb on your way to a job interview. It's still, it's still pretty bad out here. Um, it's, it's the raininess, it's the grayness, but mostly it's the fact that it gets dark at about one in the afternoon. <laughs> Nothing just has you wanting to spring out of bed in the morning, like peering into the inky blackness at 8.30 a.m., <laughs> knowing that there will be about three hours of gray drizzle before it begins getting dark again. And the problem, of course, is that we're right uh, after the moment when we fell back. That makes it worse. Granted, you get an hour of sleep on a random Sunday, but you spend eight months with crippling depression (laughs) to pay back that one hour of sleep you got one time. And the the TV news anchors are far too chipper about telling us to fall back. They keep reminding you at the 11 o'clock news, hey, uh, remember, you're going to fall back tonight. And then they play a little graphic when it's almost time to fall back. We know that this is happening, TV news. I don't know how far they think we're going to get in some parallel time dimension where we're off by one hour from everyone else in America. Like it will be 15 years later and we'll be an hour late for a heart surgery because we never fell back. Or spraying forward. It's a, probably not a situation that's going to actually happen. I, um, I don't really know how to deal with these Northwest winters. I, I've been in the Northwest for most of my life, but it feels like they get worse for me every winter. I know some people have these light boxes on their desks. Does anybody have one of those? Do those work? Okay, because they don't look cool. So I hope that they're doing something <laughs> medically for you. I was talking to this very wealthy lady one time who told me how she liked to beat the Northwest winter blues, and she said to me with a straight face, she goes, well, me and my husband, we discovered Hawaii. (laughs) And what they had discovered was to go to the banana plantation that they had bought in Hawaii for most of the winter. And I was like, "Uh, I discovered something, I hate you (laughs) and your banana plantation. I don't really, I don't know exactly how, how to deal with all of this, but I guess my thought is we have to just sort of do what we always do in the Northwest, which is like bundle up, wear the right shoes, and, and remember that these dark, depressing Northwest winters are what make the Northwest summers so sweet, right? That's right, the payoff, because that week in August is amazing, amazing. All right, let's do this radio show, you guys. How about it? Portugal the Man is not a country personified. No, it is a band that formed when John Gurley and Zach Carruthers started playing together in high school in Wasilla, Alaska, back in 2002. <laughs> this summer, the band released their seventh studio record, a collaboration with Grammy Award winning producer Danger Mouse, with songs from Evil Friends. Please welcome Portugal the Man to Livewire. <laughs> The man, right here on Livewire. Thank you. Um, I, I want to apologize uh, for asking you a thing that you must get asked about all the time. But you are from Wasilla, Alaska. Um, that is a town where Sarah Palin is also from. I thought that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's true. Do you um, do you know them?
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. We, had, we actually have a little history. Um, I, I argued with her for a few years straight. My friends and I and our parents, we started a committee to build a skate park in our hometown. And so I went to city hall meetings for about three years straight and argued with her a lot about getting a skate park built in my town. And there was a lot of back and forth. She doesn't like me very much. But in the end, we got a beautiful skate park in Wasilla, Alaska. Yeah. Thank you. Didn't you
0: say to her, do you have any idea who I'm going to be? No. <laughs> um, are you, I but mean, she didn't
2: say that to me either.
0: R- <laughs>
2: <laughs> if That's I por- knew then what I knew now.
0: I mean, was that just mind-blowing for you guys, though? Uh, Wasilla is,
2: how many people live in that town? Uh, it's probably about sixty.
4: 60? Yeah. Now? Great. Now.
2: I mean, it's a, it's a giant area. They count Wasilla. It's the, for the census and stuff, they use people that live, you know, 100 miles away. San Jose. People. So people. Yeah. It's a, people, it's yeah.
4: Alaska.
5: <laughs>
2: really whoever, whoever shops at the, the grocery store in Wasilla is counted. So it's people from all over.
0: I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that a small town like that would produce uh, a, uh, a Sarah Palin a Bristol Palin, a Portugal The Man. That's a lot going on for kind of a small town. That's,
2: that's a lot going on.
0: Well, you guys, it sounded great. We're very excited. We're going to get Portugal The Man back out in a moment. For now, give him a round of applause. Thank you. Hey, you're listening to Live Wire Radio. Coming up, bitch magazine writer Sarah Merck with some questionable dating advice. David Letterman writer Steve Young with snippets of industrial musicals that you will not believe are real, poet Scott Poole, and more music from Portugal the Man. We will be right back. The Wire podcast is sponsored in part by Ergo Depot, who knows that you sit hard all day, but asks if maybe you could be sitting smarter. Ergo Depot's client list includes Harvard, Stanford, and Columbia University. And you can bet those Einsteins don't sit on poorly designed chairs. Ergo Depot's line of sit and stand desks, saddle seats, and kneeling chairs are all specifically designed for comfort, health, and ease of use. And you don't even have to wear your smarty pants to sit on them. But it doesn't hurt. For more information, check out ErgoDepot.com. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Our next guest started her career writing for Alt weeklies, is now the online editor for Bitch Magazine, which we can say on public radio, apparently. <laughs> Offering up a feminist perspective on pop culture for the past year, she's been working on a book about modern relationships called Sex from Scratch. And she's here to enlighten us about a few of the lessons she's learned while writing it. Please welcome Sarah Merck to Livewire.
3: I've always solved problems with books. Pretty much the only tool in my utility belt is my library card. So when I hit my mid-20s in a long-term relationship that didn't feel quite right, I made the choice any rational person would. Instead of seeing a therapist, I decided I would write a book about it. I set off on what turned into two years of interviewing people in all sorts of interesting relationships about what they've learned the hard way. Along the way, I realized that five terrible pieces of relationship advice had burrowed deep into my brain. Number one, you can transform your sex life by learning 75 ways to please your man. (laughs) In the winter, I go to New York to interview some people and find myself surrounded by terrible advice on newsstands. And the annoying thing about women's magazines is they're all about men and they have a narrow and numerical view of dating with numbered lists that imply that my entire success as a person in the world hinges on mastering the careful erotic physics of balancing a can of whipped cream between my thighs. (laughs) So I'm thinking about all this when I knock on the door of Betty Dodson, an old-school feminist activist and author who I'm afraid to interview. She's 84, and I thought she would have the kind of laser vision that punchy old people do to see right through me. She would know that I was there because, deep down, I was worried about my boyfriend. I told her I was a serious journalist doing important research. But, like everybody else in the history of forever, really I mostly cared about heartbreak. When she answers the door, Betty looks me up and down. She says, hello, Amazon. (laughs) Then she makes us gin and tonics, which is charming to the point of being bewildering. I'm also confused because she swears more than anyone I have ever met. She swears roughly 100,000% more than my grandmother. Within a few minutes, this fierce old lady is making fun of the 60s by imitating the noises that housewives made at hippie sex parties. Everyone's got a very strong opinion on how you live your life. Women don't understand their own bodies, she says. I nod and I hope she'll think I'm an exception to that, but we both know I'm not. Honesty is never natural, says Betty. We all want to cop a plea or skirt the issue. She's right. Lies come easy. We spend years avoiding the things we're afraid to say. Which brings us to number two. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. One place I'm always terrified to find myself is a potluck. I just don't like quinoa, or, (laughs) and I also don't like people. But some very sweet people I met on the Internet offered to host a potluck for me in Boston so that I can interview their friends who are in open relationships. And you really can't say no when a stranger is throwing a polyamory potluck in your honor. (laughs) I share plates of hot food with mainstream married couples who calmly describe how they get along with their boyfriends and girlfriends, young people and middle-aged folks who take a risk on trusting me and spell out how they manage three happy relationships at one time. I can't even really handle one, so I have a lot to learn. What you've got to do, someone wearing a top hat tells me over baked tofu, (laughs) is speak up. We're taught to be nice, but if I only tell my partner what they want to hear, that's going to lead to resentment every time. When I get home, I write complain more in big (laughs) letters and tack it to the wall over our bed. Number three, if you like it, you should have put a ring on it. In April, I find myself on a tour of a sex dungeon in Seattle. It's disappointingly not a dungeon. It's more like a sex warehouse. It's, ac- it's actually a nonprofit, for Christ's sake. It's a letdown in that way that things are always a letdown in Portland and Seattle, where you go somewhere expecting an edgy, dangerous sex dungeon, and instead discover it's a friendly and welcoming non-profit that really just wants to create some healthy community. (laughs) Instead of intimidating medieval floggers and leather masks, there are beds covered in practical plastic sheets and a row of well-maintained washing machines. The director, Elena, also contradicts my expectations. She's enthusiastic about the fact that she's been married four times. I like weddings, she says, (laughs) which makes sense when she says it. Now she's proudly non-monogamous, having intimate one-on-one relationships with a couple people, and she's happier than she's ever been. Like my misconceptions of the sex dungeon, her description of polyamory is far more sweet than salacious. She recently had cancer. I never, ever had to go to the doctor alone, she said. My chemo days were parties. Marriage is a symbol of success, and breaking up feels like failure, but not every good relationship ends in marriage, and just because you haven't put a ring on it doesn't mean your relationship isn't valid. Elena says, we were raised to be looking for the one. That makes me gag. Number four, follow the rules. In Silverton, Oregon, I meet up with America's only transgender mayor. Her name is Stu. She also runs the town movie theater. Stu tells me that life gets easier as you get older, not because you know more, but because you care less. <laughs> Heck, she, was, she refused to acknowledge for decades one of the most basic pieces of her identity. It always hurts when you're dealing with stupid, she says, but 99% of what I feared was between my own ears. Relationships and gender never fit into the boxes we see on TV Getting over expecting them to is a lifelong mission. Number five, love is all you need. I move out, but we don't break up. We definitely love each other, and that should mean we can work it out, right? But now that we're complaining more, we need more space. I'm still doing interviews, but slowly I start doing unprofessional, not serious journalist things like bursting into tears. That tends to kind of startle people, and it gets weird. The night we break up, I'm sitting on the cold kitchen of my new house. The only thing I can conceive of doing is staring at the floor and listening to the Beatles in the dark for hours. We're told that love is all you need, but love is not enough. My roommate comes home and turns on the light. She sees me sitting there, and I tell her what's wrong, everything I've done badly, how I've talked to dozens of people around the country about dating and love, and it's always led me to a harder road. She shrugs. Well... She says, the good news is, I bought a waffle maker. (laughs) We can make sadness waffles. (laughs) Suddenly, the kitchen is well lit and full of people who know I'm not cool, who know I'm just as much a mess as anyone. There, I'm not nervous about what I'm supposed to be doing and all the things I've done wrong. I've spent months interviewing strangers, looking for someone's permission to break up. But all the research in the world couldn't have made us a happy couple together. And that's okay. You don't need to write a book to figure out that the things that always hold true are honesty, friendship, and waffles. Thank you.
0: As Sarah Merck teaching us about sadness waffles and the inherent unsexiness of 501c3s, Right here on Livewire.
6: I've no further questions for
2: this witness.
7: Your witness, Mr. Brigant. Please state your name and occupation for the court.
2: Uh, Marjorie Reeves. I own a small business.
7: And to clear up any conflict of interest for the jury, will you state for the record whether you remember me
3: or not? Uh, of, of course I remember you, Eddie. We were best friends in high school. We had like three classes together senior year.
7: Four, but who's counting?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you in a while. You, you look like you're doing well for yourself.
7: Uh, Judge, permission to treat the witness as beautiful? (laughs) Granted. Isn't it... Isn't it true that we never dated, even though all of our friends said we should?
6: Objection, hearsay. I'm gonna allow it.
7: You two would
4: be cute together.
3: Um... Uh, yeah, that, that's true. People did say that about us. Um, shouldn't we be talking about the defendant and the, and the carjacking I witnessed? You know, he's sitting right there.
7: Uh, hey, who's the defense attorney here? <laughs> I'll ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your power of perception as a witness. Does it look like I've lost weight?
3: Oh, uh, yeah, a little.
7: Well kind of a lot, like 18 pounds. Oh,
6: it's,
3: uh, it cool. 's very objection! cool.
7: Objection!
6: It's obvious how the defense feels about this witness. He needs to just tell her.
7: Uh, sidebar, Your Honor. Counselors, approach the bench... Your Honor, there's precedence here. In Harlow v. Davidson, the defense revealed his true feelings too quickly and was immediately rebuffed.
6: Yes, but in that case, they had no shared history. In Everly v. Minnesota, the defense had known the witness since middle school and his advance was positively received. Of
7: course it was positively received, Brenda. They were They were on a boat in Aruba, and Dutch Caribbean law doesn't apply here. All right, all right. I've heard
4: enough. The defense will disclose his feelings for the witness immediately, and I will instruct the jury to disregard his previous question. And,
6: Your Honor, please also instruct the defense to stop talking about himself so much and focus on her.
4: So ordered. You need to make your move now, Counselor, or I'm declaring a mistrial. Step back. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you will disregard the defense questions to the witness about his weight. You may continue, Counselor, and need I remind you... You're on a short leash.
7: Ms. Reeves, what are you doing on the night of tonight after the trial is over?
3: Um, I I don't don't have any plans yet.
7: Would the witness state for the court if she wants to go to a movie or something?
3: Objection! Cliche!
4: Sustained.
7: (laughs) Would the witness...
4: Like to go bowling?
6: Objection! She's a a once-in-a-lifetime girl, and he's totally blowing it, Your Honor.
4: Sustained. You're on thin ice here, Counselor.
7: Uh, my friend owns a couple of horses. Would the witness be interested in packing a picnic dinner and going horseback riding up by the river and then watching the sunset? That's more like it.
3: Um... That, that, that does sound nice, actually. You know, I, I love horses.
7: I'd like the record to indicate that the witness is wearing a very smart suit and just smiled at me coyly. The record will so indicate. Ms. Reeves, is it not true that you will be ready around 6 p.m. for me to pick you up?
3: Ah, uh, that is perfect.
7: Your Honor, the defense requests a continuance.
6: No objections, Your Honor.
7: So ordered, this court is in recess
4: while the defense goes on his fancy date. We'll reconvene Monday at 9 a.m., and I'll want a full report in my chambers with details. And then we'll get back to work on this whole car jacking thing. Court is adjourned.
0: Sean McGrath, Laura Faye Smith, Andrew Harrison, and Courtney Hommeister. All right, having graduated from Harvard and written for the Harvard Lampoon, Steve Young knew he was legally required to become a successful TV comedy writer. He ended up at The Late Show and Late Night with David Letterman, where he was in charge of the segment Dave's Record Collection. That's where he started his collection of industrial musical LPs. These are entire elaborate musical shows that were written by some of the best composers and lyricists in the business to tout products like tractors, Appliances and drapes Mostly the people who sold them Take a listen to this, this is from 1966 It's from an electric utilities Conference put on by GE EDM
6: can show what you Need to know, through your distribution System our sensors can be information automatically
4: Can you tell me Kilowatt hour consumption and demand
6: Can't do
0: all right, Steve's new book is Everything's Coming Up, Profits The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. Please welcome Steve Young to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, do you remember the first one of these industrial songs that you heard? Yes, it was actually that General Electric record that you just
1: played a little clip from. It was 20 years ago, and uh, I'd been accumulating all these oddball records to play in the Dave's Record Collection segment, and it was a lot of learn how to touch type or here's William Shatner singing, all these things that we could do very well with mocking on late night television. And I found this uh, General Electric record. I had no idea what it was, but boy, it was awfully well produced for some oddball private show and I grew up knowing nothing about musical theater or Broadway, and so it, it didn't register with me that some of the personnel listed on this thing were actually people of note. John Candor and Fred Ebb were two of the composers of that General Electric show from September of 66. In November of 66, they had a show go on Broadway called Cabaret. So,
0: <laughs> Almost as big of a hit as the electric utilities Conference song they put together.
1: Well, they're running neck and neck for me, but I know I'm unusual in that regard.
0: So why were these very kind of talented people taking part in creating this stuff that was mostly going to be played, I assume, at a conference in Nebraska or something?
1: Right. Well, many of them were at fun locations, like you'd got to go to Hawaii or the Bahamas or something. But these corporations during the period we're talking about, mostly 50s into the 80s, There was a lot of money to spend on this sort of stuff for in-house propaganda and employee motivation, so if you were already established, you might say, yeah, for that amount of money, yes, I'll spend four weeks working on this. If you were coming up in the business for performers and -and up-and-coming composers, it was a great way to make some money, learn your craft, network, just do what you wanted to do, even if... The subject material was a little off from your usual Broadway show.
0: Like, for instance, a song called My Bathroom. Before we hear it, can you, can you set this up for okay. us? Okay.
1: Las Vegas, 1969. American Standard. The plumbing and f- bathroom fixture people. Big, big convention show for their distributors. And uh, songs about the new bathtubs and the new shower stalls. But this remarkable song, which uh, has sort of percolated underground for a long time and is really catching on again, it's sort of an anthem. Why we're in this business, what it's all about. This is My
0: Bathroom.
6: My bathroom, my bathroom Is a private kind of place Very special kind of place
0: And so at one of these get-togethers, you've got a a theater, probably not unlike this, full of distributors, things like that, and the woman would just... She would come out and sing My Bathroom. Was it part of a larger... Was there a play? Did they write a play about tires or whatever the product was?
1: Well, it ranged from your low-budget, small-scale things. It would be just like a piano and a few people on stage in a hotel ballroom, often with song parodies that sound like they were written 10 minutes before the show. They're just desperate, (laughs) jamming the company's name in wherever you could. But the best of them were unbelievable. I mean, the the amount of money that was spent, and you'd get... I mean, I I have a a wonderful Ford tractor show that was put on for 5,300 Ford tractor people from around the world at Radio City Music Hall in 1964... I mean, you, the, the cover shows tractors and rockettes on the stage. It, it, no expense was spared for, for the top line stuff here. I mean, you have great performers, you have fabulous big orchestras, choreography. It, it was the real deal. It was just about tractors.
0: You're listening to the Live Wire Radio. We're talking to Steve Young. His new book is Everything's Coming Up, Profits of the Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. Um, Can we hear uh, a little bit of this song, Tires to Sell, and could you give us the uh, backstory on this one?
1: Okay, this is 1979. We're getting towards the end of what I call the golden age here, but still some excellent stuff being done. B.F. Goodrich, there was a whole plot about this tire dealer who's made this deal with the devil. The devil is going to take over his tire dealership if he doesn't sell enough tires. (laughs) Why the devil wants a tire dealership...
0: I assume hell is just a giant tire fire, right. though.
1: <laughs> and we're not going to hear the whole thing, but the devil has all these plans for improved merchandising and things. <laughs> it,
0: it's wonderful. Direct from Hawaii. This is Tires to Sell.
5: He's got tires
6: to sell. He's got tires to sell. If he doesn't sell them, he'll land in hell. He's got tires to sell. By ten, got, got 20,
5: twenty
0: tires to sell. Twenty does be in fifty land <laughs> in hell. Fifty, sixty,
1: seventy, eighty tires to sell. He's got tires to sell. <laughs> now, amazing. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> in case you're not ever going to see the show, he does sell the amount of tires, and saves the dealership. (laughs) The devil does not get the B.F. Goodrich dealership.
0: Did you ever hear, or were you ever able to deduce, if these productions had the desired effect? Like, did people go out and sell more tires and keep the devil at bay because they were so inspired? I, I think there was a
1: lot of anecdotal evidence that it really did fire up the troops. If you got the right people putting these things together, they were extremely effective. And I've heard composers I've interviewed telling me about seeing hardened middle managers and sales guys in the audience with tears just streaming down their face. (laughs) Like that Ford tractor show at Radio City, the back cover has quotes from people who'd been at the show, and one of them was from a guy from Austria who said, this was the most beautiful day of my life. (laughs) And yes, first you laugh, and then you say... Ford flew this guy over from Europe and plopped him down in Radio City Music Hall where there's dancing girls and tractors and these songs which just knock you over the head with the message that you are doing the most important thing in the world, getting these tractors to the people who are going to grow our food and grow our crops. If it was done right, it would absolutely send you back out into the field
0: with a renewed sense of, I've got to do this, I've got to go sell the tractors. Do you listen to these songs now um, for pure enjoyment? Yeah. (laughs) Because,
1: I mean, you've heard a few of them. I've got just what I consider the greatest hits from my collection is about a dozen CDs worth. And some of them, as I said, are just awful, and I love the awful ones because they're so excruciating. I just can't (laughs) believe... Oh, my God, somebody actually thought we should record that. Oh, that's brilliant. But the best
0: ones, absolutely just top-shelf stuff. It's, it's astonishing. Well, on the subject of which, we were so fascinated by these productions, which we had no idea about until we saw Steve Young's book, which, by the way, is called Everything's Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals, that we wanted to play a little game with one of our listeners here, which is we have had our amazing band write some industrial musical songs of their own and learn some actual industrial musical songs that were real ones. And we are gonna have Shelly Caldwell. Round of applause for audience member Shelly Caldwell over there. We are gonna see, Shelly, if you can tell the difference between the real songs and the ones that our crack team just made up.
6: Are you gonna give me headphones?
0: uh, We have a live band here. I don't know if you've noticed the drums on stage. Okay. We have a guitar that is literally inches from you that is going to be played by Jim Brunberg. All right, here we go. This is the uh, first song. It is called Impossible Dream. To dream the impossible
7: dream Sales by 20%. To check stock and to fill in the staples.
0: To make sure
7: sports shirts keep getting sold.
0: Would you say, Shelly, that that is a real song or a song we just made up?
6: I think it's they made it up.
0: You're absolutely wrong. That is a real song. (laughs) Impossible Dream. Steve, who dared to dream this impossible industrial dream? The Arrow
1: Shirt Company put out a record in 1969, not just from that year, but it was the greatest hits album from the whole decade's worth of sales meeting songs. And uh, yeah, they had Impossible Dream with new lyrics about selling shirts and... They also had a Simon and Garfunkel song that they set new lyrics to. So I consider this the sort Hello, of... Hello,
0: Cufflinks, my old friend.
1: Oh.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shelly, I, I feel like you were playing a little fast and loose on that first question. Do you know what you are playing for, though? If you get four out of five correct, you will win a copy of Steve's new book. And you will also get our undying respect. So you've already missed one. Great. Get your ass together. Uh- <laughs> All right, here we go. With song number two, it's Those Pillsbury Buns.
6: My man has a plan. He's no flash in the pan. He's handsome, he's charming, and astute. But hands off, ladies, I get mad as Hades when you
3: holler and hoot.
6: Say, Pillsbury salesman, show us your
3: wares! (laughs) Darn those hot, steamy buns. (laughs)
0: Those Pillsbury buns, real or fake, Shelly?
6: This one's real.
0: You are really bad at this. That is completely fake. You are already out of the running for the book, and you've only had two questions. But I I will say it's a testament to this group. All right, you are 0 for 2, Shelly. Upward and onward, our next song submission, Oldsmobile Sales Fest 74.
6: be supercar.
0: know that's a lot to take in Shelly <laughs> what do you what do you guess real or fake
4: it's fake
0: that is in fact a fake you're absolutely right oh <laughs> by the way you do have one point now Shelly so um there's that <laughs> this is silicones
6: your product's not enough You feel it is enough to snuff Silicons Silicon What it may need may not be much What it may mean is just a touch Of silicon. That was great and I think it's real
0: uh, That is in fact... A real song. I was... You, you answered very quickly, Shelley, which you're to be commended for. I was excited to say, silicones, real or fake? And you deprived me of that opportunity, but I got the opportunity back.
6: We'll edit it in. We'll, we'll cut it in.
0: Wonderful. That is a real song. Who was yes. who uh,
1: behind that one, Steve? General Electric Silicone Products Department, 1973. They had a whole show that they took around to other businesses trying to tell them, our silicone products will help all your business problems. And on our uh, website, industrialmusicals.com, where you can hear many of these actual songs, we have a link to a video now on YouTube from that 1973 presentation. It's a six-minute-long song about wow. the industrial uses of silicones. And it's, it's great because you just know, and I've heard these composers say to me, oh, we would get these binders full of material to put into a song, and our hearts would just sink. Just, oh. But really talented people could actually kind of pull it off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what we go for on this show. Kind of pulling it off. Alright, here is our final song. It's Skiff Ball Bearings.
6: Patented oscillation grooves keep rolling, elements on the
3: move, and radial shielded mini balls, loop polymer overhauls, Skiff Ball Bearings, Skiff Ball Bearings, with plain spherical bushings, double
6: sealed for cushioning their precision applications like a spherical vacation. Skiff Ball Bearings!
0: Shelly, what say you?
2: Oh, I'm not really qualified to answer.
6: No, it's not right.
0: (laughs) It's interesting. You sound unsure, and I am also because they did not write down for me on these notes if that (laughs) was a real song or not. It's
1: interesting, though. She didn't say it's not real. She said it's not right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Steve, is that a real song that uh, was written to promote a product? No. Uh, but,
1: again, always a footnote, I do have a Timkin-Bearings show from 1972.
0: I'm glad you're already married. Because I feel like if you were rolling this stuff out on a date, it could seem a little Rain Man-ish. All right, first I'll of all, that, uh, yeah. a huge round of applause, please, for Jim Brunberg, Courtney Hommeister, and Ralph and Dave from the band. Incredibly good work. Shelley, great job. You do not have a future in answering these kinds of questions, but you are a delight on stage. And also, a huge round of applause, please, for Steve Young. The book is Everything's Coming Up Profits, The Golden Age of Industrial Musicals. You are listening to Live Wire, sponsored in part by Whole Foods Market, who would like to remind you that Thanksgiving is rapidly approaching, and it probably won't work to tell people that you already celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving in October. It's okay, though. Whole Foods has a whole bunch of prepared side dishes, house-made with natural ingredients for when your guests aren't buying that, I have a religious objection to making mashed potatoes argument. More information can be found at wholefoodsmarket.com. We will be right back. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. A little earlier, we had Sarah Merck giving us relationship advice, and now with a sort of counterpoint to what she was talking about, the author of Hiding from Salesmen" and the Sliding Glass Door. Please welcome poet Scott Poole with Reflections by the Pool.
8: This poem is entitled... Writing your sweetheart a love poem is one of the most beautiful things you can do for a budding relationship, but also one of the worst things you can do for a budding relationship. Maybe you need some do's and don'ts. (laughs) Love poems. Don't write love poem on top of a blank piece of paper. (laughs) Hand it to your honey and then explain, there are no words to describe my love for you. You just look like an idiot skipping out on your homework. (laughs) Do write, love. Write it as many ways as you can. Write it with blue salt and sand. Write it with soft skin wrists. Write it with the hum off a guitar's bridge. Don't use the words wildebeest or mammoth or elephantine. (laughs) And don't use the metaphor, I'm attached to you like an eel on the side of a whale shark. Do use the word Icelandic if you can. It really rolls with the word eyes and icebergs and infinity. Don't compare yourself to Megatron, explaining that our love has transformed you into a really sweet Camaro you too can make hot love in the backseat of. <laughs> Do use kisses in the poem. Use every kiss in the world. There are not enough kisses. Make the poem dissolve under the weight of them. Don't say that if you stop kissing me, my lips will fall off and I will pick them up and gift wrap them and place them on cotton in a jewelry box with a red bow and give them to you at Christmas in front of all of your relatives. That's horrifying. (laughs) Do talk about water and swimming and waterfalls and rushing rivers. Don't talk about seeing your future babies in the other's eyes. That's creepy coming from a man and frightening coming from a woman. Do talk about everything warm, blankets, the sun, skin, a square of light dozing on a Sunday morning bed. Do compare your love to a flower if you think of them as infinite, as a field of flowers, a sky of stars, an ocean of waves. Don't rhyme mouse with house or fox and socks. You'll just come across like Dr. Seuss on the make. Green eggs and ham is a bizarre breakfast, not a sweet sentiment. Do rhyme if you can rhyme honey and dance, love and time, moon and body and flame. But don't burn the edges of the poem to make it look like an ancient scroll. It's a poem, not a treasure map. Do write the love poem, even if you're terrible at it. How else will you shape a heart with your bare hands? Thank you.
0: That is Scott Poole here on LiveWire. Hey, LiveWire would like to give a special thanks to our Northwest Radio partners for their generous support. 101.9 Kink. Progressive Rock Radio here in Portland, KUOW in Seattle, and of course our hometown host station, KOPB. Thanks, you guys. Please give uh, one more warm live wire welcome to Portugal the Man.
6: Just because I lost it doesn't mean I want it back. I don't know what I know, but I know where it's at. Just because I lost it doesn't mean I want it back. You don't get it. Is it the word I'm living? You don't get it. I'm just a creep in a t-shirt, jeans, I don't think We out in Cause I lost it Doesn't mean I want to play You don't better. Is it the world I'm living in You don't better. I'm just a creep And I jeans, shut jeans I don't uh-huh, uh-huh. Just a creep fucking It's not because the light is here is brighter It's not that I'm evil I just don't like to pretend That I could ever be your friend Cause if you were my memory I'm just a creep in a t-shirt, jeans. I don't I'm just a loser in a t-shirt, jeans. I don't I'm just a creep in a t-shirt, jeans. I do
0: Portugal, the man. That is our show for the week. Thank you so much. Our thanks to our guests Sarah Merck, Steve Young and Portugal the man. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors. New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, Laughing Planet Cafe, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Arts Commission, and National Endowment for the Arts. And listeners like you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe in Portland, Oregon. Our media partners are KUOW 94.9 FM in Seattle. Oregon Public Broadcasting, and Kink.fm. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Haumeister and Jim Brunberg. Our sketch comedy group is Sean McGrath, Andrew Harris, and Laura Faye Smith. Our head writer is Courtney Haumeister with show writers Sean McGrath, Scott Poole, Jason Rouse, and me. Our guest writer of the show is Alex Falcone. Sound effects by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom. Our engineer is Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Will Fernandez. Special thanks to Revival Drum Shop. LiveWire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about our show and how to become a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast over on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. We'll see you then.